everyone, and welcome to the show. This is episode number 60 of Pop Culturally Deprived, and today we're going to be talking about Pacific Rim on your Today We're Canceling the Apocalypse podcast. I'm Mandy Kay. And I'm Matthew Vose. Uh, before we get into the show today, we wanted to remind everyone that if you want to reach out to us, make any comments or discussions on episodes we have recorded or have coming up, um, there's a number of ways you can do it. One of the best is using Twitter. If you tag with the hashtag PCDeprived, we will see your tweets. We'll be able to respond to you. It's a great way to join in the conversation. So if you do have thoughts, comments, questions, it's always really good getting questions for Mandy before a show. Um, so hit us up using the hashtag or at eloquentgushing. But what we are here to talk about today is Pacific Rim, a, a, a more recent film. We don't often do films quite as recent as this, but why have you not seen Pacific Rim? I honestly have no idea, and there is no good reason for it. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, I, I think this is the first movie that we've done in this run that I have no good reason for why I've never seen it. And I I should have. Had you That's all heard of it? Did you Do you remember it coming out of the cinema? I do remember it coming out, and I remember it being really super popular, and everybody loved it. I just don't know what was going on with me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, we'll get into your expectations in a little bit. Uh, for some history, Pacific Rim is a 2013 science fiction action film directed by Guillermo del Toro, who wrote the screenplay along with Travis Beecham, who was also the story writer. The film performed okay at the box office. It earned $400 million on a $190 million budget. Of more interest is that it only took $100 million in the US, but three times that internationally, so it was a very good success overseas. Del Toro wanted the film to be conscious of the heritage, but not a pastiche or an homage or a greatest hits. The design of the kaiju and the Yego alike were done from scratch, and they were intended to stand alone from other films uh, in this genre that had gone before. The designers frequently drew from forms of, uh, in nature rather than other pop culture. The computer voice they used in the film is based on the AI GLaDOS from Valve's Portal series, as portrayed by Ellen McLean. Del Toro had played through the games, including the co-op elements of the second game with his daughter. He approached Valve about using the voice, and they agreed. The first trailer heavily featured GLaDOS and delighted fans of the game series. In the final film, they used fewer of the filters that uh, they would have done for to make the voice of GLaDOS, so the voice is less of a distraction. A sequel, Pacific Rim Uprising, is to be released later in this year, starring John Boyega as Pentecost's son, and is directed by Buffy alum Stephen Esther Knight. I'm actually excited about the sequel. I saw the trailer for it before I watched Pacific Rim for this and mm. thought that movie looks really good. And so I knew I needed to watch Pacific Rim, which is why I asked if we could go ahead and yeah. do it. <laughs> Although I, I'm surprised that the first one didn't do so well in the US because there's a lot of hype around the sequel. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that just that just feels strange. Like, why are people so excited about the sequel if they didn't really go see the first one? Unless it's just it gained more of a following once it was released on Blu-ray? Yeah, commercially, it it did okay. Critically, and in, in general from audiences, it was very, very well received. So the people who saw it raved about it. And it has been a few years, so it's been able to get a bit of word of mouth and following in uh, home media and other releases at the cinema. It was released alongside other films that weren't huge performers, but also would have taken some of the audience away. So the same week it came out, uh, Grown Ups 2 was released. 
which is arguably not a too much of a dissimilar audience. Uh, Despicable Me 2 was reigning at that point. Uh, the following weekend, Red 2, R.I.P.D., The Conjuring. So there were other films being released that were also sort of summer action films. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in fact, two weeks later was The Wolverine, and nothing else came out against The Wolverine. <laughs> Hugh Jackman goes to Japan. Ooh. <laughs> I don't think I've seen The Wolverine yet. Hmm. It's better than the first one, <laughs> but it's not as good as the third one. <laughs> um, and when you say the third one, do you mean Logan? I mean Logan, yeah. Okay. It's like the Thor series. They get better as they go on. Right. Okay. I saw the first one and I saw Logan, but I didn't see the middle one. So interesting. Yeah. Okay. That that first one is utter trash. The second one, it, it does some interesting fight stuff, but it's not different from anything you could expect. We're not here to talk about that. We're not. <laughs> <laughs> You're distracting me. Talk about other films. Quick. Um, yeah, the the video game voice thing, that was excellent because that, I think, got it a bigger audience because I remember the weekend that, or, or the week that trailer came out, all the video game sites got to write about it. And again, that is a good audience for this, this film to target. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, so all the sites wrote about it. They were linking to the trailer. So it got a lot of eyes on it probably quicker than it would have done without her doing the voice and it's not even like it isn't glados it doesn't have the personality anything like that it just it's got the same voice and that's neat yeah i think if i was a fan and knew that i probably would have enjoyed it but Mm. i didn't know that because i don't game so (laughs) (laughs) you do need to play the portal games they are excellent it's on my list now that i have an xbox Mm. getting there they should go up they should get to the top of the list frankly. All right. All right. Yeah. Do you want to give us a brief synopsis? What is this film about for people who don't know? So my synopsis is shorter than IMDb synopsis. My synopsis is that monsters from another dimension terrorize Earth and the military builds giant robots to defeat them. I mean, that's the first two minutes of this film. But I mean, that's what the movie's about. Um, so IMDb gives a little more information and says, as a war between humankind and monstrous sea creatures wages on, a former pilot and a trainee are paired up to drive a seemingly obsolete special weapon in a desperate effort to save the world from the apocalypse. <sighs> Which is not quite yeah. right either. Not quite on song, but also a bit more about the film itself. <laughs> Maybe, perhaps. Um, Let's get into that in a second. How did you watch this film? Um, A a friend of mine owned it, so I did not have to rent it. Okay. Okay. Did you check? Is it available anywhere for streaming? I didn't check. I should have. (laughs) Uh, Well, it's not available streaming over here for free on any account. So uh, I could have rented it. I ended up actually finding the DVD in a charity shop. Okay. And it, it had a code to download the digital version of it, which I was very excited about. I was like, oh, great, I could use that, and, and that'd be an easy way to watch on my computer. But the code ran out in 2015. So <laughs> that, that, that was less useful than I thought it was going to be. Right. <laughs> yep. Hey-ho. <laughs> um, okay, so this is recent enough for you to be able to remember it coming out and other people seeing it. What expectations did you have, both for what would be in the film and how you, you would react to it? I... Honestly, I expected it to be like the Transformers and full of mm. sci-fi goodness. Um, my only experience with giant robots is the Transformers. And I really okay. enjoyed the first two Transformer movies. 
And, and so when I saw the trailer for this one, I remember distinctly thinking, oh, they're trying to capitalize on the success of the Transformers, which of course is not what this movie is about at all. Yeah. <laughs> but it, just, it had that same, at least in the early trailers, it had that same visual style because they focused so heavily on the giant robots. Mm. And I, all I can say is because I didn't watch it, my expectations back then were maybe that I didn't think I was going to enjoy it. Uh, but when it came time to watch it for this, I absolutely thought I would really, really enjoy it just because a lot of people that I know and respect love this movie. And I mean, I really like sci-fi now and action films now and robots. So, I mean, there wasn't really anything about this movie that I wouldn't like, if that makes okay. sense. Good. Okay, so I didn't really mention the uh, cast up top. Uh, Guillermo del Toro as director. It, it, it's a fairly extensive cast in this with people that you might recognize from other things. So Charlie Hunnam, Idris Elba, Rinko Kikuchi, Charlie Day, uh, Ron Perlman, and other actors. So do you have experience of them? Have you seen anything else they've done? A few of them, yes. As far as Guillermo del Toro being a director, this is the only movie I've seen, but he did write The Hobbit 1 and 2. Mm. Um, so I've seen those. Um, Idris Elba, he was in Star Trek Beyond. Uh, I recently saw The Mountain Between Us, and of course he's Heimdall in the Thor movies. Uh, Ron Perlman, I know that he's Hellboy, but I haven't seen him. And okay. um, apparently he did Voices Entangled, which I really love, and he was a goblin in Fantastic Beasts, but I yeah. didn't yes. know that until I was looking at his filmography. Um, he's just another one. I, he has a very distinctive face, and so mm -hmm. you just kind of know who he is. Yeah. You haven't seen the old 80s Beauty and the Beast series? Yes. Was he? Was okay. that him? Yeah, he's Beauty. No, he's Beast. I'm joking. <laughs> Linda Hamilton was Beauty. Um, yes. Okay. Yeah. I don't know that – wow, the makeup on that was really good that that doesn't look like his face. So I mm. wouldn't have put that together. And I apparently I just missed it when I was looking at his filmography. Um, yeah, and in Tangled, he's the um, evil brothers that Flynn is with at the beginning. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. Flynn, Eugene, what do we call him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the, the other folks, um, this is the only thing I've ever seen them in. Um, I have at least heard of Charlie uh, Hunnam, Hunnam, however you say his name. Um, I think uh, I he's in Sons of Anarchy, mm -hmm. um, which I haven't seen, but I'm just familiar okay. with. Um, uh, Charlie. Not, yeah, you haven't seen it because that's also got Ron Perlman in it. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. So that would have ticked it. off too, yeah. <laughs> um, and I never even heard of Charlie Day or Rinko Kikuchi. So okay. I'm really kind of lacking on this cast, I think. Uh, Ch Charlie Day, um, main chap in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Mm, yeah, I've never watched that. Which uh, I thought you might have seen. Okay. Um, and Rinko, she's obviously done a lot of different things in both in her home country of Japan. And some US stuff as well. She did one uh, that I'm just throwing out as a recommendation for anyone interested. Kumiko, the treasure hunter, um, which is about a, a lonely woman from Tokyo who watches the film Fargo, believes it's a true story, and goes to follow up on the events of Fargo without realising what the weather's like <laughs> in that part of the US. It's good. It's a bit strange, but it is excellent. And yeah, Guillermo del Toro uh, has done some amazing films. 
both Hellboy films are excellent. Pan's Labyrinth is wonderful. Uh, Shape of Water is out this year. It's out in a couple of weeks over here, so I will be watching that at some point very soon, hopefully. I've heard very good things about that one. Mm, I can't wait. Guillermo del Toro and Doug Jones are a good combination, so very happy about that. So this is about giant monsters. Um, I don't think we've talked about monster movies in quite this way, the the Godzillas of the world. So uh, Godzilla, King Kong, what's your experience of this sort of movie? Um, I've not seen Godzilla or King Kong. Um, but just talking about monster okay. movies in general, um, I did see Cloverfield. Um, we did Jaws mm-hmm. for the show, which arguably is a monster movie, just slightly different. Mm-hmm. Um, Gremlins. I saw The Fly with Jeff Goldblum, and I've seen Cabin in the Woods. Other than that, I don't really think I've watched a lot of monster movies, because they tend to fall in the horror genre for me, and I don't just don't do much horror. Okay, that's fair. The recent US Godzilla film is very good. Um, King Kong Skull Island was, it was a bit of fun. I do want to watch that one, but mostly because of the cast. I'm a big fan of Tom Hiddleston and Brie Larson, and um, it just looked like it might be fun, so... Yeah, Tom Hiddleston doing a role that I would have expected a Chris Hemsworth to fill. It, it didn't quite work. Okay. But that's because of what we've seen him do elsewhere. So if he wants to be an action hero, this could be a good start. But <laughs> okay. Didn't quite buy it. Um, okay, Pacific Rim, did you enjoy it? I did. Any qualifiers? Not at this point. I think um, maybe as we talk about the movie a little more, it'll make sense. Because... <sighs> The things that I liked about the movie are not the action, giant robot, sci-fi aspects of the movie. Okay. What did you enjoy about the film? This film had a surprising amount of heart to it. And and for me, this movie was about the characters and not about the fighting or the monsters. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it had a ton of action. I mean, there was one fight scene in there that I thought was never going to end. <laughs> And I think that I thought it was never going to end because I was just kind of done with the action at that point and I wanted to go back to the lives of these characters that I was getting invested in. Um, I really enjoyed mm. the relationship between uh, Marshall, the Marshall, and Mako Mori. Uh, watching him be so protective of her and then finally getting to see why later on was mm. really, really nice understanding why Raleigh was the way that he was and why he he was so reluctant to get back in a Jaeger. Those are the moments that I really, really enjoyed. And it just wasn't about the robots for me, even though the robots were really cool. I cared about the lives of these characters. Most of them, not all of them. Yeah. It is very well written that it gives us lots about these characters and makes them very sympathetic. Pretty much all of them. Despite the fact it's having to give a lot of attention to the world building, to the action, to everything that's going on, to who fits in where. Mm-hmm. Everyone's quite like fun to support and got interesting dynamics going on. Yeah, even like the scientists. Usually mm. those guys would be kind of be relegated to the side and they would just have this tiny little supporting role. But they had their own storyline and they were very integral to defeating them at the end. And mm-hmm. it was great. Um, the the one thing that I did notice about this movie, though, that was surprising was the mm-hmm. beginning was such a large exposition dump about what had happened previously that it felt like this was a sequel movie and they were recapping the first movie. Yeah. 
And and so I was confused yeah. at first. And I was like, I'm pretty sure this is the first one and nothing came before. So why do I feel like I'm missing an entire story? Mm. Which I guess in some ways is good because they recapped the origin story without giving us the origin story. Yeah, from the trailers. Because I was, I was really excited to see this after the trailers. I thought, oh, great. Robots and monsters fighting. This looks like it could be the Transformers film I always wanted. The story I was expecting was monsters attack over the first half hour they create the robots and then we see them fighting them back right the entire story i was expecting to see was the first 10 minutes yes <laughs> that uh, me too that's what i was expecting um yeah and that is definitely not what we got but in in some ways that's arguably better from a mm. writing standpoint mm-hmm. it just was different because you don't see that a lot yeah. I mean, even when you get huge exposition dumps, it's usually like somewhere in the middle of the movie and not at the mm-hmm. beginning kind of setting you up for what's coming. So I liked it. Is that one of the reasons it's so well received? I mean, and, and characters are great, story's great, action's good. But the fact that generally, certainly when it came out, people expected one thing and got it, but a very brief version of it and then got a whole other story on top of that, which is excellent. Does that sort of add, you know, another 30% to any rating for it? Oh, that's a good question. Maybe, because you come out getting more than you went in expecting, in a good mm. way. But yeah, that the, the whole opening sequence, you, you get a good fight, but it does teach you a bit about the hubris of these people. Yeah. Where you're thinking, just, just, just do what you're being told. Just don't, don't pick up the boat. <laughs> <laughs> Leave the boat alone. <laughs> Yeah, I that that scene was interesting to me because after they had disobeyed and they picked up the boat and then um, the marshal has yelled at them for that. But now he's yelling at them to run and to get away. Marshall is like, pick up the boat and go. <laughs> and I'm like, just a minute ago, yeah. you said, leave the boat alone. So I thought that was interesting and just just a funny little detail. One of the things I love about the film is the the visuals whether it's an action sequence or not, the, the design of the world, particularly the Chateau Dome, once they finally get there in this battle, so that's where they spend most of the film as well, um, you can feel it's been running for a, a good number of years now, and it's it's industrial and it's dirty and there's a whole mess where people go and eat and it's it, it feels realistic for what it's doing, mm-hmm. you know, housing giant robots. But then when they get into the sci-fi stuff, it is beautiful. There are strong colours always presented on screen and the, and the way each element is added to the robot to build it up. It's so well done, whilst also being like, yeah, this is probably how we would build it if we had to build giant robots to fight monsters. I love the the, the verisimilitude of it. It's realistic, whilst also being ridiculous. <laughs> I like that. Realistic and ridiculous. Mm. That's great. But particularly, and this is something I've... Not ruin the film for other people, but when once you point it out, you can't not notice it. Is the use of blue and orange throughout the film. Uh, famously used together as colours because they're so striking against each other. It shows two sides to a conflict. If you go and Google blue and orange and you see all the posters, it, it's usually, you know, the top half or the bottom half or the left and the right in it. It's just a way to show action and things happening very strongly. This film is almost all blue and orange. Like, lights over doors at the top are blue and at the bottom orange. The lights in their helmets, the top is blue and the bottom is orange. <laughs> the, the, yeah, the, the, the kaiju are blue and the portal is orange. And 
the, the whole film, it feels like there's almost two colours. I, I think there's a bit where there's a lot of green on screen. It's like, oh, that's quite a rest for my eyes. I quite like that. <laughs> okay, so here's the moment where I admit I did not pick up on this at all. And you pointed it out to me and you asked me to go back and rewatch the 20 minute, essentially cold open of this movie to, to see yeah, it. Yeah. And honestly, it still didn't stand out to me. <laughs> Okay. I mean, when I was looking for it, I saw the things like the blue of the kaiju and the blue in the helmets and things like that. But things like the lights on the doors, those are just not details that I pick up because I guess I'm just not observant to the setting of the movies that I'm watching. I, I really need to figure out how to train my brain to do this because I just I miss it every time. And I, I love mm. that you see it and that you point it out and um, you linked me. Uh, an article that had all of those movie posters that were blue and orange. And I was like, wow, they, they really are. But just when I'm watching, I just don't see it. Like it's like my eyes glaze right over it because I'm so focused on the characters, which can be detrimental in some films. Well, (laughs) but you, you do watch four characters. So I do. I I get that's what you're focused on. I don't, I don't think I watch four production but certainly good production does go a long way for me. I think you watch for production, <laughs> considering that visuals and cinematography is always at the top of your list. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. <laughs> um, the, the other thing I love about this is that the speed of the film, like I say, gets into it very quickly. But we only get a few of the kaiju fights really before we're at the end. And there's, But there's always something going on. There's always the relationship building, figuring out who's going to be his new co-pilot... Uh, getting the training done, dealing with her history with Stack of Pentecost, then getting into the kaiju attacks with two coming through, and then we're in Hong Kong, and he's running for his life, but they're also fighting on the docks. The, the film never really takes a breath. Right. Um, and then we're suddenly at, at the point where, oh, this should be a triple event, there's only two coming through, but now we're going to go and fight at the bottom of the sea. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember thinking that the big fight... Um, when they got to Hong Kong, that was the the action sequence mm. to me that just did not end. It went on forever and ever. I remember mm. thinking, wow, I didn't expect the climax of the movie to come so soon because I was thinking this was the big fight. And mm. I think part of that is because of the speed of the film. Everything was just coming and coming and coming and not stopping. So when you got to this long sequence, that's what it felt like. But then it wasn't, and we had more fights to go. Um, but I, I definitely did notice how everything was just coming and coming and coming. Yeah. And, and arguably that, the, the double kaiju fight in the middle, is the big fight because once they go underwater, if you had a quick speedy fight, you wouldn't be able to believe it so much. Like, these things are not going to move fast on land and then in, in the ocean, significantly less well. Right. Hmm. Um, so while we're talking about that big fight um, in, in Hong Kong, they ended it with... Oh, one of them. I guess it was Raleigh's uh, Jaeger that had their arm turned into this giant sword. And you, like, mm-hmm. cut the kaiju in half. Mm-hmm. Why did they just not always use that sword? <laughs> Why had we never seen it before? I mean, they could have won the whole dang thing if they just put that sword on all of the Jaegers. And then they could have, like, done what they needed to do. <laughs> that bugged me. Am I the only one that bugged? Uh, no, there were other people who got annoyed at it. And I, it's really strange. It's one of those things I can always headcanon away and go like, oh, I, I can I can understand that. That's fine. 
<laughs> the flip side of the thing grows wings and then <laughs> flies him in into space. Like you can't fly into space with wings. Right. Yeah, that one bugged me too, but that was a monster. And so it was more believable that a monster would do that. But he had the sword the whole time. <laughs> Why were they not using it? Um, yeah. I mean, it's almost as bad as they're building a wall to keep these things out. And and I'm sorry, a wall is not going to keep these things out. Okay. So my typical headcanon is that the arm itself is useless if you don't have, if you have the sword out. Okay. The, the, the fact that it comes from the arm means it's part of the armor. So like any hit on that arm and it's completely crippled. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's fair. You'd want to keep it as a last resort because you don't want the kaiju to know you could do it, maybe? Like a super weapon? Maybe. Maybe. Um, maybe it's the fact that the low gravity means they can use it better? Maybe. <laughs> but, you're and this you're is, reaching this is something real I, hard I, here. <laughs> that, that is all reaching. The one that I've read that I can believe is that all the the weapons are about blunt force trauma and cauterizing wounds. They are about not letting the blood go from the uh, kaiju. And we have the whole thing about them being toxic. So okay. slicing up bits of a, a, a kaiju, probably not in the interest of anyone. Okay, see, now that I can get behind. Mm. That, yes. Okay, I, I will accept it now. <laughs> I don't think necessarily that's the reason, but there are enough that I go, yeah, you wouldn't necessarily use it as your first thing. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'll, I'll take that. It, it was really funny. I did not question it at all. <laughs> and then, like, I remember after the film came out, everyone was like, yeah, but, but, but. It would also be really hard to keep sharp. Like, it slices through that uh, kaiju. Mm-hmm. So it must be really damn sharp. Like, and as soon as you've sliced through anything, it's going to be just a butter knife, basically. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. Plus, you know, narratively. <laughs> it works quite well at that point, doesn't it? It does. It was really convenient. Yeah. Um, which is why my thought was, why didn't they use the damn sword at the beginning? <laughs> mm. Like, when they were fighting that first I... one, it would have... But I guess he was in the ocean and they didn't want the blood to go everywhere. I don't know. I'll just... I'll, I'll accept it. Use that as my headcanon. <laughs> Whatever. It, it, it was uh, actually brought up in a bit of feedback to us. Um, our friend at Zinkstoat said, it, one of the questions he asked was, why not lead with a big chainsaw sword? Uh, which, yes, there is there is enough there to question it. I think there's enough there to headcanon it away, maybe, perhaps. Um, he also wondered why the scientists, uh, so Charlie Day and Bern Gorman, why did they wander in from another film? It does feel like they wandered in from another film, but I ended up really yeah. liking them by the end of it. And I saw another trailer for uh, the sequel yesterday, um, mm. and they're in the sequel, and I got so excited. Oh, great. <laughs> I, I haven't seen any trailers yet, so. <laughs> I like that Star Wars thing that you can feel they have a history with each other. Mm -hmm. There is already a pre-existing relationship there that we're being shown part of, and and a bit of insight into their history together. But generally, this is just we're stepping into this world at this point. Right. I, I always appreciate that in a film. I think it goes a long way to making it feel like a, a better experience for the audience. Yeah, I mean, established world is is always a good place to go into a story because you're not having to worry about world building so much. 
I mean, you mm-hmm. are because you're still trying to tell your audience what's happening. But when you've already got this established universe, you're just letting the uni- the, the audience experience it, which yeah. is nice sometimes. And you do you usually need someone to step in who doesn't know what's getting going on and get getting everything explained to you but this does it and that's why I'm calling on Star Wars as a direct thing uh direct comparison because we don't have anyone like that we don't have an audience surrogate we just pick it up from the discussions everyone has right. you get all that expedition at the beginning and then you learn the relationships as we go through and particularly like you say uh Mako and Stack of Pentecost's relationship is the big one that gets reveals mm-hmm. But we get told who is brother and sister and who is um, father and son. Right. It's nice. The other question that Steve asked us was about Mako Mori. He asked about the Mako Mori test that the film gave rise to. Which I had never heard of. Um, no, I, I, again, remember it from the time and had completely forgotten it. We, we've talked in the past about the Bechdel test, which Alison Bechdel developed as uh, in her comic, that a film can be considered... Oh, at least worthy of being watched if it has uh, at least two women in it. The two women have a conversation with each other and their conversation is about something other than a man. Yes. And I think there's a generally consideration that the women are named as well. Mm-hmm. For some reason, that's stuck in my head as a thing. The reason it gets discussed here is because this film has a very good female character in it who has uh, you know a really good story and really good relationships, but... I think there's only one other named woman in this. They don't have a conversation. Yeah, I don't even remember the <laughs> so, other named woman, honestly. Uh, I think it's the Russian... The, the, you oh, know, the two oh, oh, that's right. Russians and one of them's a woman. Yes. Yeah. So this film does not pass the Bechdel test. No. But there was a big discussion about, but it, it is a film worth watching if you like a film that represents a woman well and has a good story. So the Makomori test was proposed on Tumblr. Um, a user who went by the handle Chyla said that the Makomori test should have, any movie should have at least one female character. That character should get their own narrative arc. And that arc is not about supporting a man's story. Which is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it does apply to this film absolutely bang on. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it applies to other films and, and whether it's, Easier or harder to pass than the Bechdel test? Um, I'm trying to think. So the character that's coming to mind um, is Black Widow. Mm-hmm. Um, Uhura from Star Trek doesn't. Right. Hers is all about her relationship with Spock. Mm-hmm. Every single time, I think, it's about her and, her and Spock. Mm-hmm. Which, um, Ray, Ray does, but, you know, she's also the main character of those films. So. Yeah. Jen Erso does too in Rogue One, but she's the main character. The story is hers. Yeah. Mm. Hmm. It's, well, it's an interesting thing to think about, though. And I think if there's a film that passes both the Bechdel test and the Makomori test, then it's doing really good. Mm. There, so in reading up on them, I found two other uh, tests of this type, uh, which I thought were worth mentioning. I, have we discussed the sexy lamp test? I don't think so. Okay, maybe on Across the Arrowverse. Uh, the sexy lamp test is, effectively, can a woman be replaced by a sexy lamp and still have the same impact on a film or not? Oh, wow. That is terrible. <laughs> which which is terrible, but a lot of the time, certainly older films, like, you know, Ferris Bueller. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And then there was also a good one of the Furiosa test from Mad Max Fury Road, 
which I know you haven't seen, but you'll know some of this. The test is, does the um, inclusion of women in the film make men annoyed? In which case it passes <laughs> the Furiosa test. <laughs> okay. And I, I think, I, I can't remember what the phraseology we used was, but it was make uh, idi- idiot internet boys annoyed or something. Oh, okay. <laughs> which, great. That's a good one. And that, that sort of film, yes, I will go and see it. Absolutely. All right. Sounds good. Such as, like, Ghostbusters 2016. Yes. Mm-hmm. I want to gush about that movie some more. But we're here to talk <laughs> about Pacific Rim, so... Yeah, well, we're on feedback from people. We heard from at this A Shaw, who said about Pacific Rim, love it, love it, love it, love it. <laughs> I also forget most of it every time because I loved Neon Genesis Evangelion, and they aren't the same thing, but all sort of occupy the same space in my mind. I don't know what that is. Now, well, so I've never been into robot things. Um, so Gundam, people fighting in robots, Transformers, for whatever reason, it's just not something I watched growing up or when I got into anime and manga. And, the, and Neon Genesis Evangelion is a great example of it, but it's not something I could talk about. So I reached out and said, oh, actually, as someone who likes mecha films, how would you consider the detail of Pacific Rim? Um, it, does it treat? the idea of giant robots well uh, her response was i thought they did it brilliantly i loved the weight of it all and no one understands mecha and big monsters like guillermo plus he brought a really human connection to it it was a fine realization for me yeah definitely as far as the human connection goes you, you don't expect that in a movie that's on the surface about giant robots fighting giant monsters mm. but there was such a depth of human connection in this movie that was touching and memorable and made the movie so much better than I thought it would ever be. Question for you. When you think about the the human connection and the human elements of it that you enjoyed so much, are there specific scenes or interactions that you think of? I think, uh, I think of characters more than scenes. Um, And and I'm going to point out the three main characters, obviously, which are Raleigh, Makamura and Pentecost. And the inner the inner relationships that they had because they all had relationships with each other in different ways like Raleigh and Makamori and the way he completely stood up for her and said no she can do this she is the only one who should be in this giant robot with me um you know the relationship he had with Pentecost even before his brother died and then us kind of seeing Pentecost bringing him back into the fold and all of that stuff and then the relationship between Makamori and what's his face I keep saying his name Pentecost and mm-hmm. getting to see that the flashback of how he saved her and and that is wonderful watching the two scientists have their relationship together um, you know it's just all of these little moments but I I think of the characters themselves more than I think of the specific moments because they just all blend together into one emotional experience for me if that makes sense. Okay. Mm. It's interesting. Every, every time you've mentioned it, this is why I wanted to ask, I think of that fight scene, the uh, sort of quasi-kendo fight scene that they do. Mm-hmm. I'm not entirely sure if it's kendo, so hopefully someone might point out and tell me what martial arts it is. But that whole sequence that where you have... And it is brilliantly directed. It's, it's wonderful to see the fighting. It's, it's all very, very good. Mm-hmm. Highly technical. But Rally and Mako 
talking through it and, and him objecting to her, objecting to him and, and Stacker saying, no, she's not fighting you and then eventually caving. And even though she's really good, him going like, no, I'm going to make my decision. Right. It, it deals with all of the different relationships going on in what feels like a very enclosed, claustrophobic space, mm-hmm. given how much time we spend outdoors with these giant robots. Right. Um, it's a nice counterpoint to, and, and probably designed that way, um, counterpoint to what we see in the rest of the film. There was a, a comment I saw, something like one of the ways that he filmed the fight sequence between Mako and Rally was he, he tried to film it more like he would film a love sequence. So that you've got some of that physicality of them being together rather than it just being a normal martial arts sequence. That makes sense because watching it, it did feel very intimate, even Mm. though it was a fight scene. Mm -hmm. The last of the comments we got, um, just to throw into that, is uh, from at Caitlin GSS, who said that saving the world with friendship and giant robots is just the best thing ever. I think that's perfect. (laughs) I love (laughs) that. She's great. like, I, I think I mentioned this last week for when we were talking about Parks and Rec, but the uh, her talking about the fact that found family is one of her favourite things. And there is an element of that in this. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of actual family in this too, uh, which makes mm, sense drift. because drifting, while I don't really understand the technology behind drifting, I just kind of accept it as this is a thing in this world. Um it makes sense that it would be something that would work better between family because you have a bond already. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so we got a lot of actual family in this movie, but then we did have the chosen family like Raleigh and Makamori and Makamori and Stacker. And even to some extent, Raleigh and Stacker, because they, mm. they had an interesting relationship, even though Raleigh disappeared for five years. There was definitely something there. Yeah. Yeah, because it wasn't quite paternal. But it wasn't really I mean, more than anything, boss yeah, subordinate either. Yeah, it, it it was very like something from the military, actually, now I think about it. So, yeah, they portrayed that really well. Well done, chaps. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but even the scientists, you got the sense of siblings. Yes. Mm. Much, much so. Much so. That That's yeah, not great. a phrase that people say. <laughs> <laughs> much so. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently I say that now, so. You do. (laughs) What were your much-so moments of this film? (laughs) Um, There are two that really stick out. I know I keep mentioning the flashback Mm. for Makamori uh, when she was a child and we see how terrified she was and how um, Stacker finds her. But the the actress who played her, who played the the child, Mm. Makamori, was incredible. Her her facial expressions, the way she moved her body, for someone to be that young and have such a command of themselves was astonishing to me. And I really, really enjoyed mm. it. Yes, the uh, actress playing her, Mana Ashida, who I don't think has been in particularly anything in Hollywood. She's done some Japanese dubs of Hollywood releases. Okay. But this is the only thing that I, w- I would say is a American film that she's been in. Okay. Well, she should be in more things because she was phenomenal. Yeah. She was exceptional. She was so good. You you got the sense of fear. It was the ah oh, the 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 beautiful hiding when she's trying to hide from the monster that's tracking her down. You get a real sense that this giant monster is trying to find just her. Right. And the stacker stacker is turning up to save her. Right. Yeah, lovely. Mm-hmm. Um and and one of my very favorite lines from this movie um was when Stacker 
is I think he was talking to Raleigh, but I'm not sure. But he says, we're not the army anymore. We're the resistance. And that's just kind of, it's one of those lines that's designed to inspire you and to pump you up and to make you really want to <laughs> say, yeah. And it, it worked on me, at least. <laughs> I really liked it. Um, so that, I mean, that was good. Um, there were a few other lines. I think um, one, again, it's a stacker line when he says, you, shut up. You, keep talking. Um, and I think he's talking to the scientists <laughs> yeah. at that point. And I really like that. It just it made me laugh because previous to this, he had just ignored them completely and would never let them talk and shut them down mm. at every turn. And then all of a sudden, he's, you, keep talking. And I liked it. Nice. It's funny. You, you hear those lines and you're like, oh, pumped up. Yeah, come on. Let's go get them. I'm always like, bet that was in the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> they do tend to use the best lines in the trailers, um, which can be frustrating. Yeah, those very blunt, succinct, this is the core of the film yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what about you? What did you like the most about this movie besides the use of color? <laughs> like you, Mako Mori, both uh, as a little girl and, and Rinko, who played her older, um, is a wonderful character. Yes. Well-developed, has an interesting story. I loved the... This might be the reason I saw the blue and orange in the cinema, because I thought they were doing it initially. I hadn't noticed it until her introduction. I'm like, oh, she's got blue in her hair. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Oh, and she's wearing a blue coat in her flashback. Okay. So now we can see the sort of, oh, the blue and the blue linking together. Oh, no. Hang on. The whole film's blue. (laughs) There's a whole blue filter over this. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But it's great. There's touches like that that are really nice. Her introduction in general walking through and you can only see the umbrella mm-hmm. but you've got this rain pouring off the umbrella and then the the camera slowly comes down and reveals so you know she's somewhat of significance in this world right uh, not many characters get such a good introduction it was a great introduction and it really made me take mm. notice of her yeah um and, and it ends on the great moment of her being sad that he's dead and him waking up and being like i can't breathe you're choking me <laughs> Yeah, she did have some good humor, too. I mean, she was very, very Mm. serious, but, you know, things like she was watching him through the peephole. Yeah. (laughs) It cracked me up. Even before that, where she sees him taking her shirt off, and then when he looks at her, and she she does the sort of slightly girlish, oh, I can't be looking, got to run into my room. Right, right, yeah. There's there's a little bit of the the stereotypical Japanese demure woman Mm -hmm. going on, her talking in a slightly higher voice and being a bit girlish in the way she talks, but that gets less as the film goes on and obviously she becomes more comfortable with the people around her. So that is a very cultural thing coming in, but I can see it grating a little bit. Right. But it, it does help to add some insight into her character and into her um, her place in this world. And actually on that, the, the way... The, the fact that this is called Pacific Rim, it could very much be, we have to defend Seattle and San Francisco and Portland and Los Angeles... And oh, and and some of Alaska, and maybe we'll have a trip to Hawaii. But they don't do that. They go to China. They have Australian. We see Australia being attacked and defenses down there. We see it happening in Japan. It is all of the Pacific Rim that gets involved, and they blend the cultures. Uh, we see people from different cultures coming together. We see elements of them being introduced in the martial arts, in the styles of the fighting, and the different robots that are manned. I, I love the way they bring this in and really make it feel like oh, this is a bigger thing than just. Well, they've attacked Los Angeles and New York and Washington, D.C. Right. Th- thanks, Independence Day. 
Yeah. Um, although I will say I did really enjoy that we had some of the setting in Sitka, Alaska. Um, mm. Because the only reason I know that there's a town in Alaska called Sitka is because our friend Brandon lives there. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I as remember, soon as it came up. Yeah. yeah. I remember thinking, oh, I wonder if Brandon's going to be in this, which obviously I knew he wasn't. <laughs> but, you know, Sitka. It's set in the future. so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's it's really funny because so much of the cast is from the Atlantic Rim. There's people, there are several people from England. There's people from New York. There's not many who actually live on the west coast of America, and obviously there's one person from Japan. Right. <laughs> well, they still did did it really well. Um, mm. I know. I've heard people say this is very much like a live action anime, mm. but I really can't speak to that because I don't know much about anime. Do you, is that something that you saw that, that you think is something they did well or? I, I, yes, I can see what they're saying. It doesn't quite have some of the same, I don't know, speed or gloss of anime. Like I said, there's a very industrial feel to this. It's not well mm-hmm. lit. And, and obviously that's part of the problem with something being uh, animated or, or even just a cartoon or a comic. Generally, the colors are a lot stronger in this. Although I know I've said there's lots of colors, it's downplayed. It's not as... Things aren't bright and shiny in this, for the most part. Right. Um, what what it is like, it's very like a video game. Oh, it's so like a video game. I mean, even the the whole drift concept feels like a something out of a game, particularly a uh, you know a multiplayer two of you squad up to man this giant robot thing. But like when they're fighting, they call out the special moves they're gonna do, like rocket fist, punch it, go. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. I Mm. watched uh, the new Jumanji yesterday, and one Mm. of the characters is very much a video gamer, and that's what he does as he's doing it. He's sitting there saying things like, you know, block, block, parry, uppercut. Yeah. (laughs) It was. And and in this, there's so much of that that's like, oh, wow. This is. And and it's structured in the same way of going out on missions, going back to base, manage your squad Mm -hmm. in a uh, XCOM sort of way. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) It's great. And, you know, I like video games, so that's probably one of the reasons I like this film so much. Fair enough. Mm. All right. Well, so do you have any recommendations for us to follow up after Pacific Rim? Uh, We talked at the beginning about other giant monster movies. Obviously, there there are. What? 50, 60 years now of Godzilla things for you to watch, <laughs> as well as King Kong. Obviously, there's been a couple more Cloverfield films. Um, is there anything else you, you're interested in watching? Um, I do want to see the the Cloverfield films. I've seen the first one. I want to see two. And now that they just dropped the third one on Netflix, I really do want to see those. Um, mm-hmm. I want to see Pan's Labyrinth, which I don't know if that's a monster movie, but I know it's Del Toro, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I'm not sure that I'm up for watching 60 Years of Godzilla, but maybe if we pick one. No, 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 yeah. <laughs> Let's pick one and maybe I can do that one. I I really enjoyed the recent Godzilla film, and, and that's another one that's kind of starting a new franchise. I don't remember a Godzilla film coming out recently. What is wrong with me? Uh, I want to say 2014. Yeah, 2014. Huh. Yeah, I have no memory of that. Yeah, it's... I. I Thoroughly enjoyed it. I was surprised by it. It did some good stuff. Okay. Hmm. From the chap who directed uh, Rogue One. So. Okay. Interesting. Well, we might have to put that one on the list then. Um, and I will definitely be going to see um, Pacific Rim Uprising. I'm really looking okay. forward to it. Every time I see the trailer, mm. I just think, wow, that looks like a really good and spectacularly stunning 
movie. Plus, I'm a big fan of John Boyega, so. Yeah. And Stephen Estonite. Yes. Anyone who is involved in Buffy is going to do good work. All right. Well, if you would like to join the conversation, you can use the hashtag PC Deprived on Twitter. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing. Or you can email us at podcast at eloquentgushing.com. You can find each of us on Twitter. I'm at Mandy Kay. And I'm at Matthew Vos. Pop Culture Deprived is 100% funded by listeners like you through our Patreon page. Anything you can give gives access to exclusive content and helps uh, to support the network and our other shows. You can find more information at patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And don't forget to visit the homepage, eloquentgushing.com. You can find the other shows we do and subscribe to our newsletter for the latest news and announcements. We'll be back next week with another episode of Pop Culturally Deprived, where we'll talk about the musical Rent with Catherine Kay. Until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. And you can always find me in the drift. Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, visit eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing.